Chapter two, top 10 people to watch in 2024. 2.0, where are they now? It's no fun writing about the same people every year, so I've included a mostly new cast of characters to watch in 2024. To be honest, most of them probably don't want to be included on this list at all, as there is something like a 30% probability, historically, that inclusion here will lead to jail time, deposement, very serious legal allegations, bankruptcy, or a massive hack. Previous people to watch include FTX's Sam Bankman-Fried, jail convicted, Tara's Do Kwan, jail awaiting trial, 3AC's Suju, jail awaiting trial, the Tornado Cash founders, jail awaiting trial, DCG's Barry Silbert and Gemini's Winklevoss twins, accused of civil fraud in New York so far, and Binance's CZ, guilty plea, sentencing in February. As for last year's top duo, CZ and Coinbase's Brian Armstrong, I wrote that as their fortunes go, so goes crypto in 2023. They may have been obvious picks, but sometimes the obvious take also happens to be correct. Don't overthink it. The same thing can be said for much of this list. The survivors coming out of a deep bear market are worth watching simply because they are resilient. Obvious, but worth reinforcing. The week before CZ and Binance entered their guilty plea, I wrote in this report draft, I'm 44% sure CZ would weather the storm via one, a record-setting billion-dollar fine, and or two, rapid decentralization of Binance via the BNB ecosystem. It's not guaranteed that CZ will skate away with zero jail time, but I was right about the fine, second largest US government fine in history after opioid epidemic peddler Purdue Pharma, and the immediate pivot to BNB in his bio. Now we'll see what he does for an encore once the legal dust settles. 2.1, Larry Fink, BlackRock, and Kathy Wood, ARK Invest. I, for one, have enjoyed the Larry Fink memes, even if I'm cautious about what widespread Wall Street ownership will mean for Bitcoin. BlackRock entering the crypto ETF fray with not one but two applications for BTC and ETH spot products is a signal that these institutional vehicles are long overdue and imminent. The world's largest asset manager joins the ETF race with a 575-1 record. Fink's journey from skeptic to crypto convert in under five years may have some relation to Paul Tudor Jones's 2021 epiphany that 86% of Bitcoin purchased at the 2017 peak remained HODL'd through the 2018 trough, and the asset has an unblemished record of resurging following boom-bust periods. Fink's gushing commentary on Bitcoin will be played on a loop in January if BlackRock launches an ETF. Tokenization of assets can revolutionize finance. It's digitizing gold. It's an international asset. The underlying technology is fantastic, and that was just one interview. But Larry can get in line. All eyes will be on ARK Invest's Kathy Wood first. ARK stands at the front of the ETF application line with a final deadline that expires on January 10th. At that time, regulators must either reject or approve her company's ETF, likely opening the floodgates to approvals for the majority of proposed products. Can you imagine BlackRock, Fidelity, Widsomtree, Franklin Templeton, Invesco, Grayscale, Bitwise, Valkyrie, Vanek, and ARK viciously competing with each other to sell BTC even harder than all of their competitors.
Kathy makes the top of the list based on the ETF calendar and as a reminder to check out ARC Big Ideas 2024 when it comes out in January. The 2023 presentation still holds up well. 2.2 Jeremy Allaire and Dante Despart, Circle. As I wrote in the last chapter, Circle has been killing it in the high interest rate environment. Although USDC has ceded some market share back to rival Tether, the company's decade-long compliance first thrust has catapulted it to the top of the 2024 IPO pile. They've now got a head start in lining up institutional bidders with the likes of Fidelity, BlackRock, and Goldman Sachs already invested. Circle might be the company to benefit most from the passage of U.S. stablecoin legislation next year, as I'm not sure anyone has spent more time with global policymakers, regulators, and bankers than Jeremy and Dante. Close government and banking ties are prerequisites for winning the regulated stablecoin game, and they've got that in spades domestically. They tightened up their long-term partnership with Coinbase and internationally, where 70% of USDC adoption resides thanks to partners like SBI Holdings in Japan, Mercado Pago in Latin America, Coins.ph in Asia Pacific, and opportunities in Europe abound with their fledgling Euro stablecoin in the post-MyCA world. Ironically, Circle's only real hiccup this year stemmed from its banking partner's woes in Q1. It was SVB's largest depositor. Circle needs protection from the banks. I also include Jeremy and Dante on this list to call out that we shouldn't simply replace the old gods, SBF, CZ, with the new Brian, Jeremy. I've had about enough of the hero worship in a decentralized industry, and as much as I respect and personally like Jeremy and Dante, their incentives and fiduciary responsibilities are to take their digital dollar company public, not to fight the most intense privacy battles that lie ahead of us. Where they push back and where they relent will help determine the future of crypto's dollar-denominated status quo. Trust them, but verify. 2.3 Kristen Smith, the Blockchain Association, and Michael Carquet's Fair Shake Pack. The Blockchain Association ran the table in 2023, retaining the who's who within crypto as members and even reunifying some of the warring factions that had previously split off as members in 2020-2022. The BA's Policy Summit lineup was staggering. A mark of its influence and its importance as an organization has never been higher in the face of a relentlessly hostile regulatory backdrop, a new dystopian Treasury surveillance proposal dropped at the event while I was writing this section. If you're a member, donate to their PAC. If you're not a member, apply. While the BA is charged with holding the line in 2024 with respect to current legislative proposals and regulatory battles, it's our up-and-coming super PAC, Fair Shake, whose fortunes will dictate how the industry fares in the U.S. long term. Fair Shake is the long-needed political operation we've been lacking, and it proved in 2022 what it could do with modest resources winning 17 of the 18 congressional races in which it supported pro-crypto in the general election. Fairshake has attracted the capital and whale donors that have historically been missing from our DC equation. They'll 510x their fundraising compared to the 2021-2022 cycle and be one of the top 10 super PACs in the country this cycle. 2.4, Senator Elizabeth Warren and her minions. The Biden White House and its banking regulators are full of staffers who despise the crypto industry, people who would prefer to kill crypto outright while they believe they still have the chance, and who truly believe our industry presents more net harm than potential good to the public. That open hostility is thanks largely to one person, 
Senator Elizabeth Warren. Unfortunately, she will continue to wield outsized influence for at least another year. Last year, I came to realize that there were two major misconceptions among general crypto enthusiasts regarding Warren. One is whether she is an effective politician, and the other is whether it is a good use of time or money to campaign against her reelection. I address the latter issue in chapter five. Short answer, she's untouchable electorally, but we can neutralize her through indirect means. Whether she's an effective politician, I'll address here. A cursory look at Warren's track record shows that she hasn't sponsored much legislation that's actually passed into law. The impression a layperson is left with is that uh, she is all bark, no bite, but that misunderstands what has been her explicit mission from day one, place personnel in high places within the DC bureaucracy and pull the party further to the left. How did she amass such power? Warren's long-term progressive bona fides in financial services are well known, which put her in a position of outsized influence in the 2020 election when she ran against Joe Biden in the crowded Democratic primary. While she faded quickly in the race, Warren was able to strike a bargain with Biden on her way out, knowing full well that an endorsement would help him shore up the progressive flank in a tight race against Senator Bernie Sanders. Warren's endorsement of Biden came with significant strings attached. She wanted a say in the senior economic staffers and financial regulators who would ultimately enact Biden's financial policy. And she got it, in part because Biden did not have a deep financial policy bench to begin with. Today, across the administration and Biden's inner circle, you'd be hard-pressed to find a regulator or committee without close ties to Warren and her staff. Some of Warren's influential allies, SEC Chair Gary Gensler, Warren coordinates softball questions for Gensler before his congressional oversight hearings and remains his biggest only political cheerleader in a town that generally despises him, and they've maintained a close relationship for a decade. At least one Gensler family member interned in Warren's office. FDIC Chair Martin Grunberg. Warren was a not-so-behind-the-scenes advocate for the FDIC's choke point 2.0 strategy that deplatformed multiple crypto startups and inadvertently sparked a regional bank run earlier this year. She and Grunberg helped assassinate Silvergate and Signature Bank for their crypto associations. SVB was simply collateral damage. CFPB Chair Rohit Chopra. Perhaps Warren's top nuclear weapon, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau she helped create and once led has not yet been fully activated. Chopra seems to be getting closer to making moves that would reconsider the liabilities that centralized platforms face in the event of user hacks or accidental crypto transfers. And he has at least one extremely savvy crypto staffer who hates the industry and knows how and where to turn the knife if only she's given the chance. Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adeyemo, credit where it's due, this dude walked into the Blockchain Association Policy Summit and called the industry a clear and present danger to national security to our faces a day after writing to Congress with a request that would have made Dick Cheney blush. Treasury wants an unprecedented expansion of surveillance powers with respect to crypto, and Wally asked for it in order to improve his prospects for Treasury Secretary in the next administration. The proposal rhymes closely with Warren's proposed DAML bill, and his letter was addressed to, you guessed it, Warren's Senate Banking Committee, former National Economic Council Deputy Director Bharat Ramamurti. 
former chief of staff for Warren and our most hostile opponent within the White House. This is where the calls came from inside the White House to dissuade congressional leaders otherwise inclined to work on bipartisan crypto legislation. Current National Economic Council, Deputy Director John Donenberg. When Ramamurti left the administration at the end of September, some former Biden White House insiders told me to wait and see as Biden would soften his anti-crypto stance soon after. But like clockwork, John Donenberg, Warren's then chief of staff, promptly replaced Ramamurti just days later. Do you get it now? Warren's opposition to crypto is so effective because it's mostly indirect. The White House and major financial regulators won't even field phone calls from the industry because of her pressure, and they rebuffed all meeting requests with the 40-plus founders who visited the Capitol during Coinbase's Stand with Crypto campaign this September. Even House Democrats who have the audacity to work across the aisle face negative campaigns from the press and her many administrative proxies. Case in point, House Financial Services ranking member Maxine Waters whose 180 on the bipartisan stablecoin and market structure bills immediately followed calls from Warren's White House staffers, more in Chapter 5. As a senior House Democrat leader explained in private this fall, a lack of support from Waters is a death knell for 2024 legislative hopes, as it would a signal to the broader House Democratic caucus that even bipartisan crypto bills shouldn't be broadly supported in a floor vote, and b give the Democrat-controlled Senate and its crypto-hostile banking committee the air cover needed to fully ignore any House-passed bill. Senator Warren wants a central bank digital currency, not stable coins. She coordinated with short sellers in order to assassinate crypto-friendly banks. She gushes over the SEC's regulation by enforcement status quo. She scapegoats the industry for its negligible role in terrorist financing compared to government policy and traditional payments. She is playing for keeps, and as the shadow commander of U.S. financial policy, Biden himself is a complete non-factor. President Warren is our most formidable foe. Since she's building an anti-crypto empire, I spent some time helping to build our rebel alliance. We'll see who wins next November, but I don't think she's going to like the outcome. Watch 2.5 Elon Musk and his stands. There weren't three more important iconoclasts to emerge this past year in crypto-adjacent politics than Elon Musk, Tucker Carlson, and Vivek Ramaswamy, narrative violation. The future of X may be in doubt due to an advertiser boycott, but Elon's buyout of Twitter exposed undeniable government pressure on free speech that the courts have agreed was unconstitutional. His rapid replatforming of Tucker Carlson following Carlson's fall from grace at Fox News led to an order of magnitude rise in exposure for Carlson and his contrarian political positions. And to the extent Obama was the Facebook president and Trump was the Twitter president, Vivek could be the first ex-president or at least highly influential in a second Trump administration or in 2028. His greatest hits are curated long-form videos and posts on X. In general, it's silly to feel threatened for pointing out the obvious. All three of these men are a net positive for crypto and rooting for their success should not be controversial for our industry. Vivek's thoughtful and thorough approach to crypto policy has sparked other leaders like RFK Jr. and Ron DeSantis to follow suit. We have a major and legitimate presidential candidate who can speak extemporaneously for 30 minutes on the nuances of crypto and its positive role in society. This is a good thing. 
A November Harris poll pegs Vivek as voters' second choice for the nomination behind Ron DeSantis. If Trump drops out of the GOP primary for any reason, and he's the top choice among crypto owners, I hosted him at Maynet for a reason. Amongst mainstream media figures, Tucker Carlson has single-handedly changed how we discuss things like foreign wars, censorship, and government spending when the national conversation otherwise seems to be tightly controlled. Tucker is also positive about crypto being a check on the state's power. That too is a good thing. And Elon alone has kept our space industry uh, competitive with China's, done more to advance clean energy than any other living human, and I will die on this hill, is the only reason that most crypto discussions are still permitted on X. We can't really argue counterfactuals, but I hope you'll agree that open discourse on crypto Twitter is a good thing. I respect people who don't like or even respect these gentlemen, but I have zero respect for people who can't understand or respect why others like them or would think such wrong think is deserving of condemnation. We're in big trouble as a society if we lose our smartest voices of dissent on both the right and the left. And I happen to think Elon will be on the right side of history with his free speech crusade. I worry much more about people who care more about looking good while doing evil than I do with ruthlessly blunt countercultural figures, especially since the Bolsheviks still walk among us. 2.6, Michael Sonnenschein and Craig Salm, Grayscale. While the rest of the DCG empire is in turmoil, Grayscale has been printing money and winning or settling its highest stakes legal battles, HT Craig Salm. The company will end the year with $35 billion in AUM, representing $700 million in incredibly high margin annualized fees. Grayscale's newer trust products beyond GBTC and ETHE seem to be following a hype cycle reminiscent of 2017 or 2020. The Link product is up about 8 docs YTD, shares trade at 3x their underlying NAV, and its Solana product is up 4x since its May debut, shares trade at 4x NAV. Their eye-watering premiums might attract similar private investors who aim to replay the grayscale trade with new trusts, hopefully without leverage. I wrote that the Winklevoss twins and Barry Silbert would be among those to watch in 2023. That proved true as their once private legal battle degraded into a multi-front war that now includes the New York Attorney General, the SEC, and the Eastern District of New York, reportedly. There are more questions than answers with respect to how this saga will unfold in the new year. We'll cover questions specific to DCG and Genesis in Chapter 6, but Sonnenstein is on this list for two reasons. One, Grayscale is a great business, but its future is a complete mystery. Does the NYAG want Barry and DCG, Grayscale's parent, permanently barred from the securities business? Will DCG be forced to divest? Will Barry have to remove himself from the board? Do the sins of the father and sister company impede GBTC's ETF conversion? And two, that sets up the equivalent of season six of crypto's succession. Could Sonny be the unlikely successor that inherits the grayscale kingdom like crypto's Tom Wamsgans, as Ram thinks? Sonny has emerged as an industry leader. I think he's one of the good ones. But this fantasy of a grayscale spin-out is a waste of time. And having seen Barry operate firsthand in complex transactions, the sale of second market, the formation of DCG, the creation of the grayscale side door listing, etc. Most people still underestimate him. He's unkillable. The odds of Barry settling the fraud allegations against him and DCG out of court are 90 per cells. 
and the odds that Barry comes out ahead in a prolonged battle with Genesis creditors is 90% plus. He's simply better at navigating the bankruptcy process and has more leverage. The odds that Grayscale spins out or Barry loses control of his crown jewel are approximately 0%. Either way, Sonny is in the catbird seat. By the way, here's a live look at people who disagree with me on this. 2.7, Nick Carter and Matt Walsh, Castle Island Ventures. And not the Crypto Twitter remains undefeated when it comes to entertainment value. Balaji made waves at the beginning of the year for losing a $1 million Bitcoin bet. At least it wasn't a McAfee bet. Kobe predicted the CZ red notice before exiting Twitter entirely. And Inversibra and Gabe still exist, which are noteworthy feats in and of themselves. But few investors have been as impactful or as entertaining as Matt and Nick this past year. Nick's prolific writing has always impressed, and his defenses of Bitcoin's ethos, proof-of-work mining, and stablecoins have been go-to resources over the six years I have followed him. He's a truly original thinker who wrote the first thesis on crypto governance models many years ahead of its time, went to war with the Bitcoin maximalists that had previously adored him, and promoted what might be my very favorite crypto conspiracy, the Bitcoin lab leak theory, which stipulates that the invention leaked from an NSA cryptography lab. He hit a new peak this year. Nick went viral for exposing the rot within the banking regulators pushing choke point 2.0 in DC. His longtime advocacy for proof of reserves led to the first legislative proposals for that custodian regulation. And he was integral in counter-narrating the inane Wall Street Journal propaganda surrounding crypto's role in the October 7 attack by Hamas on Israel. His decentralized bounty program rewarded data sleuths for correcting the record on the actual illicit figures that had been reported. Just a hot, hot hand and one-man crypto media outlet. Not bad for someone the media referred to as a prominent Bitcoin fan which I guess is a neg you bestow on a superior writer who runs circles around you in your profession as a hobby. Not to be outdone, Matt Walsh exposed the ridiculous backstory behind SEC darling Prometheus, a registered digital asset securities brokerage with alleged CCP connections, no real volume and an inexplicable, kidding it's Warrenistic corruption, invitation to testify in front of Congress as an exemplar of crypto compliance. Matt was also the first person I heard ring the alarm on SAB 121, a brazenly snaky accounting rule designed by the SEC to block Wall Street firms from supporting crypto custody. You should subscribe to Castle Island's On the Brink podcast as it's the best in the game right now. It's the only one I listen to weekly. 2.8, Lucas Vogelsang, Centrifuge, Danell Dixon, Stellar, and Christine Moy, Apollo. When it comes to bridging the gap between Wall Street finance and crypto startups, these three stand out as early leaders. The question is whether their early leads will equate to 2024 growth or whether the real-world asset, RWA meme, is simply another false start. This cycle's version of blockchain, not Bitcoin, 2015, or tokenized securities, 2018. Lucas's centrifuge has been an early leader in the RWA space, with the highest token market cap, highest market share by private loans outstanding, and lowest ratio of default to active loans out of the three leading RWA credit protocols, Maple and Goldfinch being the other two. They've got 250 million in active loans, the majority of which are thanks to 
a large partnership with Block Tower Credit and Maker, in which Maker has issued DAI loans backed by real-world instruments managed by Block Tower. Danelle Steller has garnered early interest and support from financial institutions who view her project as a safe playground for tokenized treasury experimentation. Franklin Templeton's $330 million tokenized treasury play and Wisdom Tree's smaller pilot make up the large plurality of tokenized treasuries and the largest liquid instruments that any Wall Street firm had actually offered on chain, including stable coins. PayPal's PiUSD is still just a third of the size of the FT products, and Danelle thinks there is more to come in 2024. Then there's Christine Moy, whom I have wanted to include for a few years, but haven't for the fact that she's always been too far on the Wall Street Loves Crypto circuit, which always feels five years away and generally uninteresting. Christine formerly led JP Morgan's blockchain team, perhaps the unit that has shipped the most actual crypto product in Wall Street circles so far, and has already settled $1 trillion tokenized treasury trades with its Onyx team. She now runs crypto, data, and AI strategy at investment giant Apollo. I'm not sure many people have a deeper combination of crypto and Wall Street networks, and Christine is ubiquitous. I finally saw the real-world asset potential in Singapore when she showed me the Apollo JP Morgan Project Guardian proof of concept that she had worked on with several crypto projects. More on that next chapter, but it feels like we're on the cusp of crossing the chasm into regulated finance. Maybe not in the U.S., but perhaps in more forward-thinking countries like Singapore. 2.9 Dan Romero, Farcaster, and 0x Racer, Friend Tech. In the off chance that the advertiser ban at X kills the company, what will happen to crypto Twitter? Odds are it will move to Farcaster, thanks to Romero's early curation of their user community and careful UX iteration. Lens, which recently launched its V2 and whose founder, Stani, made this list last year, is a close second. But Dan is the first one to build a product that looks and feels like a game-ready substitute for X if the latter platform ends up getting seized by the Harris administration on January 21st, 2025, or I finally get yanked for a Gensler mean tweet. And yes, I know the hype has chilled, but friend.tech founder Zeroix Racer deserves credit for cracking the code on DSOC gamification and preserving Dunbar's number for online fan groups. I'm not sure how many people will pay to hold a membership token that merely gets them access to a merit-based or closed group of peers, but the friend.tech model could be transformative for a world that craves OnlyFans intimacy for non-sex work use cases. Congratulations to Zero X Racer for building an OnlyFans for crypto's sapiosexuals. I'm an investor in Lens already, and I'll be investing across this category going forward. 210, the DeFi gangs. Okay, this one is a bit of a cop-out, but I couldn't pick just one founder from the DeFi summer cohort who led the 2020 boom and have all stuck around to see pivot their projects through to mainstream adoption. It is worth highlighting that essentially all of the DeFi 2.0 counterparts are dead or mostly dead. The truth is, if you're looking for DeFi 2.0, you're looking for Solana-based teams, entrepreneurs like Miao, Jupiter, Lucas Gito, Mert, Helios, Armani, Backpack, Mad Lads, Vibhu, Drip, Edgar, MarginFi, Cindy, Drift, Bartosz, Cube, etc. Out of the OGs, I like watching Kane and Antonio duke it out on X regarding governance norms. Antonio's DYDX is brute forcing the protocol's migration to a Cosmos chain, 
whereas Cain has allowed decentralized governance for synthetics to flourish from a very early stage. And I like watching Rune grapple with the various chess moves in Maker's decade-long master plan known as the Endgame, while considering the pros and cons of real-world assets as collateral, while Rob goes all in on RWAs at his new company, Superstate. I even enjoy the Link Marine's ongoing viciousness towards me for serenading Sergey when he went overtime during his 2020 virtual mainnet presentation. Sergey, join us in person in 2024 and I'll play for you live. These gangs are in different phases of life. The Solana kids are partying and the Ethereum dads are debating protocol politics at the country club. Conclusion. That's a lot of TradFi, RWA, and policy folks, and a few crypto natives. That reflects the time we're living in. As crypto seeks to cross the chasm and avert political disasters that lead to a closed-sourced FinTech 2.0 redux, the battlefronts are in the true halls of power. 2024 will dictate whether we make it to the big leagues or are relegated to arguing over toys at the kids' table. For what it's worth, the more token native analysts agreed with almost all of these picks, but would have added Jesse Pollack from Coinbase for his work on Base and Coinbase Wallet and given a bit more love to the Solana and Celestia crews.